but it's concerning uh, uh, Ananga Manjari. And the reason for that is to fill you in that that comes up is because um, aside from the theology of the Goswamis, six Goswamis concerning Ananga Manjari, there's been an additional theological insights over the uh, century. Um, um, you know, from, I think Rupa Goswami's uh, Radha Krishna Ganadesh Deepika was written in 1550. And that's the first mention of Ananga Manjari anywhere at any time or any place. And it's not mentioned in any Purana. Or, so he revealed this insight <laughs> into the family of Radharani that was never known to the world before. And he says a little bit about her her nature, complexion, classifies her in a particular way, not as a Manjari. Um, and so she's a kind of a Manjari in name only, which would not be the only, um, which not would not be unprecedented. Kandarpa Manjari is another gopi who's not a Manjari, but is, has a name Manjari. Um, so other than what Rupa Goswami has said there, which is, interesting and insightful and, and whatnot, but, but minimal. Um, Raghunath Das mentioned her once in his uh, Mukta Charit, and that with regard to her disposition and, and um, willingness to, um, or inability to resist Krishna's overtures if you will, which is not characteristic of the of Manjari Bhav. Um, so she's mentioned there, and then she's mentioned in the 108 names of Radha given by uh, Raghunath Das also. That's it, you know, so. Uh, so then uh, there's there's more to be, that has been said, I should say, coming in later on in the, in the tradition and the reason that this comes up is because what my article is about, having said that, is we want to explore the further theological insights that have been presented. Um, and in the context of doing that, examine to what extent they, they are a natural theological um, development from the Goswamis and or to what extent they may contradict um, the teachings of the Goswamis, and the latter, in my opinion, seems to be the case. Um, and the reason this comes up, of course, is 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 because um, once we go from Krishna Lila and Angamanjari to Gaur Lila, then um, um, with the uh, positing of the you know the theological insight that. That um, Nityananda's consort Janava, other than being Revati in Krishna Lila, which makes sense, that's Balaram's wife, um, or Vasuda, Vasuda, Baruni, Baruni, Vasuda and Gaur Lila, uh, his second wife Janava and Vasuda, other than. Um, uh, which would be the natural idea. And it's an idea that seems to be the, well, opinion, it seems to be that of Kavi Karnapur, but Kavi Karnapur, under the influence of some other thinkers at the time, um, not being confrontational, it seems to be his nature in Gorgash Kanadupika, uh, says that others say that she is, Janava's Ananga Manjari, I don't object, basically is what he, what he says. So suddenly when Ananga Manjari, when Janava is identified with Ananga Manjari, then the theological idea that Ananga Manjari is some kind of a Shakti um, expression of Balaram comes up. It's, there's nowhere in the Goswamis. Um, on, not on their radar. Um, so 
Um, and of course, she would be a Shakti manifestation of Balaram that he has no relationship with, which is rather odd. So that's the context in which it, it comes up, because I've written a chapter about Balaram Tattva and, and um, presented the Goswami's like lens through which they look at Balaram as the friend of Krishna, primarily that being the rock side of him rather than his romantic life. I think Sumati asked the other day, based on a comment uh, from a song of, attributed to Vrindavan Das, or it's also in his um, Chaitanya Bhagwat, the statement that Balaram has, what, Sarva Shakti, was it Sumati? All the Shakti. Yes, that he's um, the reservoir of all, uh, all Rasas. Pardon, yeah, the reservoir of all Rasas. So, um, certainly he is he's, he's the but that doesn't mean he has a has a romantic relationship with krishna <laughs> yeah he so he, he he has he has a romantic life but it's secondary and it's not with krishna uh, it's with for example um uh, revati as i mentioned or um Bharani, um uh, and some uh, gopis other than Radhas, other than Krishna's gopis in Vrindavan doesn't include Ananga Manjari. So, so anyway, it's an interesting topic and um, I'm going into it there because after an extensive, extensive explanation of the Goswami's picture of Balaram, I know this question will come up, so, but oh, but Balaram is Ananga Manjari, so therefore he also tastes Madhuriya Rasa with Krishna as an Anga Manjari. So I'm, uh, you know, addressing that um, issue and explaining um, that in the, uh, the article. So anyway, that's what I've been up to. It's interesting, very interesting. I'll leave you on the edge of your seat there, <laughs> hopefully, and uh, uh, what your appetite for, for reading it. So, otherwise, uh, it's been an interesting week. I was able to uh, give, uh, I was honored to give a talk on uh, Guru Tattva to 100 devotees in the Spanish-speaking Padmanabhar's translating. And, um, it was a, I thought it was a reasonably good uh, talk and it was very well received and a lot of nice questions afterwards. So, we got a big audience there of devotees who are trying to help. And in Latin America, got a nice message from Brenda um, Bumi in Brazil, how they're also receiving the Spanish classes and it's very much helping them. So I'm glad to be of um, help to my American, South American, Central American uh, friends. Uh, so that's, uh, that's what I've been up to. So with that, why don't we go ahead and take the questions. Is his to come back from Vrindavan? No, they, they weren't flying. His plane got, they weren't flying out yet. Next month, hopefully. Okay. Give him my regards. I will. I will. Bhakti Shakti, you want to unmute yourself and ask your question? Yes, thank you very much. Um, do you hear me? I do, yeah. Good okay, to thank you. Um, I was thinking to ask some time ago this question, but there was no option. Um, I wondered once I, I've been reading that Shiva Bhakti Siddhanta Prabhupada, he was uh, the whole Kartik, he was sitting between Radha Kunda and Shama Kunda, and the whole Kartik, he was giving classes on uh, the Leela uh, of Nishinga Dev and Prahlad. And I also remember that one of the books which uh, Srila Bhakti Balakirti Maharaj wrote uh, is about uh, also uh, the story of Pralat and Dhruva Maharaj. I just wondered why they put such an importance on, on this type of Lila. I just wondered about yeah, I don't, I'm not sure that it's correct that uh, Bhakti Siddhanta was lecturing on uh, Nishinga Lila at Radha Kun, um, it's possible, but I 
recall that he was lecturing on Upadesh Amrita, the earlier verses, um, which, um, whichever is correct, I think the, um, the point remains the same. He had a conservative um, approach to uh, discussion of uh, Radha and Krishna's uh, romantic leelas. Um, and to emphasize that point, he lectured on um, more basic topics at Radhakund of all places, um, rather than um, topics about, uh, again, the romantic leelas of Radha and Krishna that are, that Radhakund is so central to. Mm-hmm. Radhakund pastimes of Radha and Krishna are pretty much a Gaudiya Vaishnava contribution to the theistic uh, world. Um, that Leela in the Astakal, eight, eight divisions of the day, eternal Leela is perhaps the longest, that and the Nisha Leela, the nighttime Leela, they're longer than the other periods. And um, uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a very central and important uh, section of the Leela, and very uh, uh, full of uh, intimacy, but uh, he didn't lecture on on that directly, but rather indirectly, by way of discussing uh, uh, more basic topics. Um, so that was a characteristic of the of the talk. Or otherwise, with regard to the Sringalila and Pralad and uh, Bruva's Lila, uh, the one of the reasons that you find uh, members of Gaudi Matlai Balabatirtha Maharaj lecturing on, on these leelas and emphasizing them is because these are the leelas that Vrindavan uh, Thakur tells us Chaitanya Mahaprabhu heard from the lotus mouth of Garadhar over and over again. I think he said hundreds of times he would hear those leelas again and again. So here is, of course, Krishna who's come to taste the the Bhava Vrata to experience the Bhava Vrata, and he's hearing over and over again Prahlad Charit and uh, the, the Lila of Druva and so forth, which speak about more basic topics. Obviously, Druva had a mixed desire, he wanted something material, and he approached Vishnu and he got something spiritual from it, and thus compared his pursuit of a kingdom bigger than Brahma's to that of looking for a broken piece of glass. And when he found Vishnu instead and all that Vishnu is about, rather than what he could give, which is a, uh, a small thing, a planet in this world, he compared that to finding a valuable jewel. I was looking for a piece of broken glass in the form of a kingdom bigger than Brahma's, but I found a precious jewel in the form of all that Vishnu is about. And so he, you know, became a lover of Vishnu. Um, and so, you know, this is a basic uh, spiritual leela that distinguishes matter from spirit, um, the uh, love of the world from love of God. And these things need to be emphasized. Um, uh, so the Bhagavatam takes the time um, to do that. And with the Prahlad and the Sringa also Prahlad is selfless. He doesn't desire anything. The Sringa appears and offers him a benediction, says, take it, take it, take it. I'm God. I give benedictions. It's what I do. He doesn't want anything, doesn't want anything, doesn't want anything. Finally, he asks for Bhakti for his father and, and Prahlad and the Sringa says, that's already given because he's your father. So by extension, if you care about him, despite his demoniac nature, then uh, uh, also bless him. So, um, of course, he was blessed to take birth as, I guess, as Ravan and then as, as Sishupal and uh, so forth. But at any rate, um, this is also a very important, it's, it's, it's something like, you know, the way to Goloka is through Prahlad, through Dhruva. Hmm? through understanding 
these leelas and distinguishing between matter and 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 spirit um, and it's important not to get ahead of oneself so to speak and it's fairly common to become preoccupied mentally intellectually with the Leela's, for example, of Radha and Krishna, the details of such um, um, uh, but not in a way that fosters actual sharanagati, surrender, um, and serious spiritual practice. And this is kind of an intellectual and kind of sleight of hand, if you will. And um, one um, might even damage one's um, prospect, uh, impede one's prospect, uh, ironically, to in terms of entering into that leela. Uh, so there, you know, a cautionary word is useful. Uh, leelas are, are, of course, meant to be heard. Um, that's uh, that's that's true. But you know, under good guidance and so forth. And and I think that Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur's emphasis was also at a certain time. And circumstance when the kind of thing I'm talking about was was prominent. Hmm? It was prominent. Oh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has given the Prem, Radha Prem, and uh, I have no caste. I don't follow any Varnashram. I just want the Radha Prem. And meanwhile, um, one's personal um, moral life uh, was uh, questionable. And so there's a lot of people like that, uh, apparently, over overrunning the the Gaudiya scene, which at that time was such that it said that if a Gaudiya person, beggar, mendicant came to the door of a pious, educated Hindu family who would give to beggars when they came to the door, if they found that from their servant, it was a, oh, it's a Gaudiya, give them some rice and send them away. Nothing to learn from them. Um, so that was the kind of reputation that they had. Um, talk about Radha Prem and such, and Parakya, and meanwhile, their um, their own moral life was in, was in, was in question. So, his emphasis was also a re, a re, it was appropriate in one sense, but the the measure of it um, was considerable. And the example that you give at Radha Kund, you say, "Well, I've taken my own disciples to Radha Kund. At least here, I can talk about higher topics with them." But um, apparently, at, at least on one or probably more than one occasion, he um, did not do so. And so it speaks, I think, of the, of the climate of the times. I mean, he, he himself was disappointed, Bhagisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, with what he found at Radha Kund in terms of genuine sadhus um, and so forth. So um, he made a strong statement once that he went to Radha Kund but he saw that the people living there were living at Narakund, which means the lake of hell. So uh, it, whatever he saw uh, it, and it was um, compelling and it spoke loudly to him as to the need to emphasize um, more basic topics and leelas from the Bhagavatam uh, for his disciples and the general public to be preoccupied with in, in the pursuit of the higher ideal of the Vrindavan Leela, which he tended to think of as, as something that we should keep over our head, not that we should worship God reverentially, that's not our goal, but that we should have reverence for the people of Braj, hmm? these actual associates of Krishna, and glorify them through Kirtan, speaking about them, He's said to have spoken 80% of what uh, Radha Prem is not, hmm? and 20% of, of what it is. So that was his, um, his emphasis. And I think, you know, it, it, 
it may be the times now are different. Hmm? Um, Prabhupada, my Gurmarsh's campaign was was considerable, and there are devotees from all over the world. And subsequent to his campaign, after his departure, other devotees from other missions who were seasoned and capable uh, came forward, and to a large extent, to make up for the lack that by Krishna's arrangement that was present in Prabhupada's mission in terms of substantial spiritual representation, understanding of tattva and so forth. And, uh, and uh, so the, you know, I think the understanding of the devotees is, has been broadened or uh, it's deeper. Um, and also I think that uh, the, um, the nature of the any discourse to the public now could be uh, a little more um, could be a little deeper than what Prabhupada saw fit to give it his, at his time. Mm-hmm. Uh, given the amount of sukriti that he created through his mission of the wide scale distribution of literature and Nam Kirtan and so on and so forth, so people are touched by that. People who are. Uh, are born, you know, with some some with some background, um, and so I think that uh, it, while that was an emphasis at the time and is appropriate and understandable, it may not be entirely the the, the necessity and today to um, be as conservative. And it becomes a problem, for example, when when in the name of following that example one is not attentive to the time and circumstance and preachers or teachers don't even educate themselves about such topics, aren't even capable of speaking about them, uh, then it becomes problematic because questions will arise um, in in our present time that uh, concerning such topics that need to be answered. So I think it was anyway relative to time and, and, uh, and circumstance. But overall, at any time, in any circumstance, a good policy to be a little conservative. And, and these leelas are very instructive. They, they have to be, their lessons have to be digested hmm, for us to, and if we do digest them in the context of hearing and chanting, then um, you, I think sh- we should be aware that higher topics may be useful to learn about, help us in our practice, but they may also come into our lives without hearing much about them if we apply ourselves fully in terms of what's um, described in, the, in, 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 in those leelas. Hmm? that help? Yes, thank you very much. Okay, very good. What else? Next question is um, on the chat from Jack. So um, when doing japa, is there something specific in the mantra that I should be focusing on? Something that I should practice resting mind in? Yeah, the mind is restless. Um, uh, I'll give you an answer that, uh, uh, an answer at the way in which Prabhupada answered. when asked once what to think about while chanting, he said to give the mind a rest, try to stop thinking and just listen to the sound. Just try to listen to the sound. Um, That said, he also um, encouraged his disciples to chant like a baby crying. Um, So uh, heartfelt like, like a baby calf, looking for the teat of her, her mother after she's born and she can hardly get up and where, where is it? And she bumps into the wrong place and, and so forth. But she, she, she has a necessity for that uh, colostrum, the, 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 the uh, first part of the milk is full of all kinds of nutrients and so forth. It's the basis of the cow's, the calf's health to get that um, first uh, swallow or two uh, of that kind of milk. So, so to, li- like a calf look, looking for the teat of the mother hmm, with great uh, necessity, 
so to speak, um, um, kind of we cry because we can't cry. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he wept because he, because by chanting he didn't get the ecstatic symptoms of weeping. Hmm? Um, so that such thing is possible. The, the, the weeping in which one knows experientially that not only is the problem of the world over, it's ended. It's over. But another world has opened to me. And such a high prospect I have there. So the peers of of joy. Hmm? Um, this will come from the chanting, but um, we can try to chant tearfully, if you will. I mean, not to imitate crying or something like that, but I mean, crying out. Hmm? And when, when will the chanting have that effect upon me? Hmm? Um, um, and also, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also chanted and taught us that the names of Krishna have great power, all power in them, uh, to deliver us from material existence, to give us love of God. Um, but I'm chanting, it's not happening to me immediately because I have other interests that are getting in the way. So he prayed that, that, that you know, in his mind while chanting that they might be that those interests might be revealed for how um, false they are uh, in terms of values and that I might have the strength to let them go, hmm? retire them. Hmm? So this is a kind of a basic idea for a, a sadhaka to orient himself or herself towards the, the, the chanting. That said also, um, one uh, can also think to chant for the pleasure of Krishna, for the pleasure of Radha and Krishna, to through the Mahamantra, to, with the desire to, to bring about the union of Radha and Krishna. That's a higher idea in the context of the Leela, to unify them. And also in Dhyan Chandra Goswami has given a, a dhyan or meditation and visualization for chanting also, um, which is, you know, a little more developed theologically, and that is to envision Radha and Krishna beneath the great banyan tree along with their associates and with the desire to enter into their, their company. So these are some ideas kind of from a beginning to a more developed um, um, mindset while chanting the Mahamantra. I hope that's helpful. You have to chant with your heart. That's the main thing. Where your heart is, that's where your mind will be. So your mind's got other things in your heart. That's why your mind is going to other things. If you're thinking someone else, something else will protect me. What is it said? Raki Mare Krishna If Krishna wants to kill me, no one can protect me. If Krishna wants to protect me, no one can no one can harm me. Something like that. So so response okay. from Jack, beautiful and helpful answer. Thank you. Okay, good. Kanuram, you want to ask your question? Unmute yourself. Good morning, Guru Maharaj. Can you hear me? Yes, good morning. Good morning. Um, I was reading in Chaitanya Charitamrita. I'm just beginning the section about Lord Chaitanya speaking with Ramananda Roy. And... Um, sort of commonly thought about like um, Ramananda Roy is presenting some things which are external 
like Varnashram Dharma and Lord Chaitanya says that's external and ask for something more. And then um, that's sort of like the, some of the common things we hear about. But in reading it, he also mentioned some things in like from Bhagavad Gita, like uh, whatever you eat, whatever you do, whatever you offer, give away, that kind of thing. Um, and then Lord Chaitanya seems to reject that as external also. Um, but in some ways that's, that's bhakti and like we've sort of hung our hope, you know, like as new devotees or we sort of hung our hope there on that, on that kind of thing. And then Lord Chaitanya says that's external. Um, so how do we sort of, how do you, how do you harmonize that idea of like doing bhakti there? And then I guess there are always deeper and deeper levels of bhakti. So, yeah. Well, in that section, uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was asking, what is the goal of life and the means to attain it? And um, just to use the verse that you cite as an example, that is a verse in which one offers one's karmic activities, whatever they may be, prescribed in the Veda or not, uh, to Krishna. Hmm? So that's a, that's a form of bhakti. We call that a rope, a rope siddha bhakti or uh, karma mishra bhakti because it's activities that arise out of your bodily identification hmm, that you're offering to Krishna. Whereas the bhakti that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is uh, pursuing teaching about has nothing to do with that which arises out of your bodily identification. Hmm? Bhakti rasa, to be the friend of Krishna, to be the lover of Krishna, has nothing to do with uh, our our physio-psychological um, makeup. Hmm? Um, therefore, there is a siddhadeha, an internal spiritual perfected body that, would, that you'll participate in that um, with um, and with the sadhaka body hmm, which is uh, your present body in terms of it being fully engaged um, in, 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 in Krishna's service um, so um, there's a, 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 a I think a pretty big difference hmm, between offering the things that I do with this material body that arise out of it to Krishna and um, and doing bhakti itself. So hearing and chanting about Krishna, this goes on in the spiritual world. It's not a karmic activity. There are many things that arise out of your bodily identification that have nothing to do with the spiritual world, but you can use them in a way that can be take help to take you there, right? By engaging those, as you said, that verse, whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you offer, give away. If you eat pizza, offer it to Krishna. Maybe he doesn't eat it, but you love it. So um, you're offering what you love to Krishna. So that's a, that's good. That's a, that's a, that's a beginning. Um, and you'll eat the love. So there's a difference between karmic activities and there's a, and bhakti. Karma, we we either offer the result of what we do to Krishna, or we offer the activity to Krishna, and in bhakti we offer um, ourselves and hear and chant and so forth. So there's a progression there, and I think it should be clear uh, from the teaching in that in that section that there are lesser expressions of um, religious involvement and, and within that lesser um, expressions of bhakti and higher expressions of bhakti. Um, so you that said, you know that, but then you have to focus where you're at and apply yourself accordingly and make progress. But the idea is not to think that the, the lower stage of bhakti is the goal in and of itself. Hmm. It may be a means in your present situation and eligibility that is relevant 
to you hmm, for your practice in order to attain that ideal, but it's not the goal in itself. How can the goal of life be, which would be eternal, to offer things that arise out of your bodily identification to Krishna when the body itself is temporary, right? So any, in that sense, you can understand that this is external. It may not be a bad thing. It's a good thing. Hmm? But it's external. There's a spiritual world, actually, hmm? and a spiritual form hmm? that's different than material form and that it's not like Krishna's form. It's spiritual. It's not delimited. It looks delimited. It looks like it has borders, hmm? right? But it, but it, but it's actually all pervasive, and you can't see it, although it's delimited when you see it in appearance. You cannot see it like you can see other delimited objects. Hmm? You can only see it if he chooses to show it to you. Brahma realized this. He searched for Krishna. He couldn't find him. Then Krishna revealed himself. When he revealed himself, it appeared that his form was was delimited was within time and space like Brahma's form. But then Brahma's very smart, so he, with his foreheads, he figured it out. He said, it looks like you're delimited and your form is within time and space. But if it was within time and space, I could have seen it when I looked for it, like other objects within time and space, but I couldn't see it. Only when you desired to show it to me, then I could see it. Therefore, it's not delimited. It is and it isn't at the same time. It's actually, everything's within God. Jagadavyaktamurtina, hmm? all worlds within him. Hmm? And he's beyond it at the same time. Hmm? This is a panentheistic perspective or Veda Veda So again, forms from this world that are a result of karma, like your body and mental disposition and so forth, hmm? and things of this world that we're in touch with as a result of bodily identification, we may offer those things to Krishna. That's good. But that cannot be the goal of life because then you'll run out of things to offer at a certain point because they're not going to be here forever. Hmm? Right? So there is bhakti beyond the world. Hmm? And that's what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says. Ah, when, when Ramananda starts speaking about, the, about that, he says, yes, now we're, now we're getting somewhere. Now this is something internal hmm? rather than external. So that doesn't mean that the that which is external and can be brought in touch with the bhakti and help us as a, as a means to attain our ideal should be discarded. Mahabhu was only discarding that in terms of the idea of it being the goal of life, hmm? the end. He wants to know what the, he said, well, that can't be the end. Varnashram can't be the end. That's within karma. Even karma measure bhakti can't be the end. Even gyan measure cannot be the end in and of itself. It was, it, so he considered all this external. When it came to gyan, shunya bhakti, hmm? um, bhakti, you know, for its own sake, so to speak. Then he said, oh, now, now, now we're getting somewhere. So that's the idea. Does that help? Yes, that's it's helpful to understand and. So can I ask something else in, in terms yeah. of eligibility? Um, Padmanabha Swami has been making the point that you have to um, have greater levels of humility in order to attain the, the, the next stages of bhakti. They, one doesn't go forward in bhakti without greater humility, but it's a little uncomfortable approaching that kind of humility and, and realizing that feeling a little unqualified for some of the things that, a high level of humility is required. It's a little discomforting, a little uncomfortable feeling. So, go well, ahead. I, 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 I like to invoke the uh, definition of humility once given by Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, and that is absence of the enjoying spirit. So, our bodily identification hmm, causes us to inadvertently or without thinking about it, to view the world 
as if we're the center. We know that we exist in, within, and then we look out and we see all the world in relation to our inner experience. So we kind of see ourselves as the center in terms of how we act. And we may say God's the center or the nation is the center uh, and, and to try to shift the balance and we may do that in intellectually. We may be able to do that, may be able to do that practically to some extent, but the measure of our humility will be increased to the, by the extent to which we actually um, begin or are successful in overcoming the enjoying spirit. That means seeing the world hmm, as if it's meant for me. Hmm? If you see that peach ripening on the tree, and if your mind thinks, how beautiful, that must be so tasteful uh, that I have to give it to Krishna. Hmm? When you start spontaneously thinking like that, that's not hard to do, but that's humility. Hmm? The enjoying spirit makes one proud. I'm the enjoyer, it's for me. I'm being served by the world my purpose is is central so my purpose is being dictated by by my bodily makeup my senses are dictating a purpose for a so-called me that's just this uh, bundle of karma in the form of a psychological and biological you know complex it has needs it's not going to stay together forever and the self is identified with it as itself. And now the self has apparent needs because what it's identified with as itself is, is a needy thing. And so those needs express themselves in, in, in this all keeping me in the center, so to speak, except the world's for me, for me, for me. So the humility is, is then, and by his Sarasati Thakur's definition, on one occasion, the absence of the enjoying spirit. You can see what that will do. If you, if you, if you, if you can stop and practice to stop seeing the world as an object of your enjoyment, you're going to re, you're going to see you're going to start to see that object for what it is, because it's not meant for just for your enjoyment. It's not there just for you. It has a purpose in relation to God, who's actually the center. So then you're going to start seeing things in relation to the center. Then you're going to see them for what they are. You're not going to take from them. You're not going to exploit them for your own narrow and uh, uh, impoverished, you know, sense of um, sense of self that takes the life out of those things. Hmm? You're going to you're going to see material nature. Excuse me, in relation to Bhagawan existing for his purpose, and then it's going to bring the world to life, so to speak. When we hear that Vrindavan, everything is animated, right? So if you want to animate, you want to have that vision, then you have to take out the enjoying spirit. Then think, then, then, then the trees will talk to you. They're going to say, you should be tolerant. The grass will talk to you and say, why don't you, why don't you become humble? Look, let me show you a nice example, how I lay down when people walk on me, even. Hmm. So, nature spoke to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in this way because he was he was listening. He wasn't trying to just take it and enjoy it, and foster his any material any material identification. So, I think that's a very practical way of thinking about humility. Hmm. To culture absence of the enjoying spirit, you can see the enjoyer is not humble. He's 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 proud. Right? Things are for me. I've got servants. I mean, you know, you don't need much of a lesson in terms of what it means to be a servant because you know you wish you had a lot of them. <laughs> Get that for me, do this for me. Yeah, yeah that would be nice. So you have to shift the, shift the focus and put yourself in that, that position rather than enjoy her. That's what that's the practical expression then of humility. And that will give you a very different picture of 
what the possibilities are in life and and uh, enable you to tread very lightly in the world. So hope that helps. Yeah. What else? Yeah, we have some other questions that are in the chat. Um, this is from Abhinash Maharan, and he would like to ask this question, but his mic isn't working. So his, I'm not real sure, but I'm going to take a guess at what he's asking. That Can you just explain something about Cheta Guru and how it is important for us as a devotee of the Lord? Well, Cheta Guru refers to the idea that... Um, and God is in, in, in the heart, so to speak, of, of, of everyone. Mm -hmm. And as such, um, when we turn inward in pursuit of God sincerely and, and seriously, then it's said that that inner expression of the God who manifests externally as a sadhu and speak to us in a way that it's hard for us to not to not to hear. Um, we're not so finely tuned that we can hear the, the God, Chaitya Guru in the heart, right? So he amplifies himself when we turn to him sincerely by expressing himself externally in the form of the Mahant or the Sadhu, the Guru uh, figure. And that Guru figure then uh, speaks to us loudly, so to speak, with argument, reason, uh, through his or her example as, as well. And um, so the two are in that sense said to be um, one. Another way to think about that, of course, is that when the guru who is the amplification and extension of the Chaitya guru within um, speaks to us, he or she speaks in such a way as if there's an English expression that really hit home, that really touched a chord in me, that touched my, my heart, that resonated with me. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, this is, should be the experience of the guru rather than some, some uh, oppressive, authoritative figure dictating the laws of what I should do and what I should not do. Rather speaking in such a way that it, that it, it seems to be like I wanted to say something like that, but I couldn't put it in words. I, I felt like that. What you're saying corresponds with how I feel. It resonates with my my feelings. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not, uh, even I don't understand sometimes all the terminology, it doesn't seem foreign. It seems um, like um, I'm, I'm on a homegoing mission and I've met a home-knowing person. So for home-going, a home-knowing person is, is um, required. So um, these are some thoughts, at least, about the idea of the Chaitya Guru. And, you know, it basically just means that Chaitya Guru means that the, 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 even the, the, the conscience of a person, there is some sense in which we know what is right. Hmm? In, in a basic sense, if we really try to be honest and sincere, we get some kind of impression. Hmm? So this can be coming, said to be coming from the fact that God is within the heart and he's close to us and so forth. But he's hard to contact in that way. So he, again, makes himself available readily hmm? and amplifies his own voice so that we cannot mistake what he, what he wants. Uh, was what his expectations are, how or how, you know, how to attain him really is what was what the message is, hmm? how to meet him. Hmm? Um, the Mahavishnu manifests the world, 
and um, it's like universes coming from the pores of his body and then he enters into every universe and then he enters into every heart so this is the the uh, Chetu Guru um, Aniruddha hmm? this uh, form of the of the Purusha hmm? those are some thoughts I, I you know, without any further insight into the nature of the question that's at least some um, something on the topic. Okay, the um, next question in the chat is from Radha Gokulananda. Um, that you wrote a letter some years ago after you left ISKCON that was widely misunderstood by ISKCON members. In this letter, you said that the society was over-worshipping Srila Prabhupada. <coughs> what do you mean by this, and what is the appropriate worship of him and his legacy? Yeah, that was in 1995. Um, some devotees in ISKCON who were leading members had um, um, embraced the siksha of Bhaktivedanta Narayan Maharaj, who's a, like a spiritual uh, cousin of mine and theirs, but elder, he's passed away now, and you may know the history, but um, that was did not go over well with the um, with the uh, managing authority of ISKCON, because Bhaktivedanta Narayan Maharaj had insights that exceeded those of leading members of the society and they felt that uh, they would lose control of its of their members hmm? if his um, insights were uh, allowed um, in in the society they had some in, some kind of mundane idea of what how the society should be organized and what its purpose was anyway so um, uh, They have an annual meeting and this group of senior devotees who was taking instruction from Narayan Marsh, they came to me and they asked me to come to the meeting, which I hadn't been to ISKCON for 10 years. And they asked me to help them stand up and speak on principle um, uh, in defense of their desire to have the siksha of a sadhu Hmm. even though the sadhu was not a member of ISKCON. He was a member of the Sampradaya and so on and so forth. And Prabhupada had an affectionate relationship with him, so on. So I went. But as it turned out, uh, they didn't um, they didn't in invite me to, to speak anything. And, uh, and those persons who were hearing from Narayan Marsh caved into the political uh, and managerial pressure of the society and... Um, so there I was in a hostile environment, uh, to be honest with you. And so having come all the way there um, at the invitation of some to have something to say, I thought, well, I'll say something in writing. So that's why I wrote the letter. It was a nice letter. You'd have to read the whole letter uh, to get the context. But I basically uh, sought to address the, the, the fact and the point that, um, that uh, there's, um, there was, and there continues to be, in my opinion, an over-glorification of Prabhupada, which is a sentimental expression uh, glorifying him that uh, is in excess when it goes against the teaching. Hmm? When it when it conflicts with the with the with the Siddhanta. so to give you an example, let's say I want to glorify Prabhupada, and I say, Prabhupada is the greatest devotee of all times. Um, we don't need to hear from Rupa Goswami. Actually, Prabhupada is the founder of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Hmm? He's the founder of Charya of the whole Sampradaya. Well. That's just not the case. He's not the founding 
founding the Chari who founded the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, he founded an institution in the 20th century within the um, Gaudiya Sampradaya. Mm-hmm. And so to say that would, would not be very pleasing to Prabhupada, although the intent is to glorify him, glorification should be accurate in terms of what his actual contribution was, rather than, which was immense, and you could speak about it all day and night. Why not stay within those parameters and let the glorification be accurate, rather than being inaccurate and glorifying him for things that he didn't do, giving a position in a position that was actually not his and so forth, which then this kind of, um, uh, uh, is in Prabhupada's term, this is religious sentiment that is uh, not grounded in philosophy, which then, as he said, becomes no more than fanaticism. Hmm? So you, if you have religious sentiment without the, being grounded in the philosophy, then you have fanaticism. And if you have philosophy without religious sentiment, then you just have kind of a mental exercise. Hmm? So two ends of the spectrum. So I think it's, 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 it's pretty clear that uh, ISKCON engaged in some measure in this way, um, over glorifying um, Prabhupada, uh, taking things that he said that were relative to time and circumstance and making them absolutes. Hmm? For example, that if other Gaudias in other times and other places or in the present didn't do exactly like that, they were somehow deviant. This is a total distortion of the teaching in the name of of, of, of glorifying him. Let's say, for example, Prabhupada said, uh, you know, the Vodhi should chant uh, 16 rounds of japa on the beads. So, I mean, you know, they could, they could criticize people who were chanting more because Prabhupada said 16. Don't, you know, you think you're more intelligent than Prabhupada? I mean, you know, so this is just a relative thing, obviously, in a detail, how many rounds to chant. Um, and when you over glorify, uh, a figure like Prabhupada and the glorification of Prabhupada, ostensibly the glorification, if you look carefully at it, could be construed to be vilification of other Vaishnavas. Hmm? This is our over glorification. This, this becomes a problem. And of course, there's a precedent for this in Chaitanya Charitamrita because the secretary of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Surabdamadar, would receive glorifications of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu submitted by devotees in writing. And if it was not accurate in terms of Siddhanta and Rasatattva, then it would not be offered to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Even though the sentiment was to glorify Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, one devotee wrote a glorification and in the glorification, there was a Mayavad or Dwaitan implications in what he said. So that was contradictory to the Gaudiya Siddhanta. So such an offering would not be offered. So it's kind of an over glorification, a glorification that is full of sentiment, but it's not in um, in concert with the uh, with the teaching. So, but I think you know, I, as I say, just to re- just to repeat myself for a moment here, as I conclude on this, the basic problem. One of the basic problems at the time was in the name of glorifying Prabhupada, they were vilifying Sridhar Maharaj, other devotees, other missions, uh, and so on and so forth. And that's a, that's a big problem. Um, for the most part, the letter was, was ignored, and then some, some fanatic um, people got, got hold of it and put it in every mailbox that they, were, that they could, right? Archer City was there when I visited her house. Then in the neighborhood, some guy put that in every me. This is what he says about Prabhupada. So, you know, you'd have to read the letter and be, and be, be a little thoughtful. But there is a, such a phenomenon. I think that should be clear. Overglorification. You could you could use another term to describe it, but it's basically religious fanaticism in the name of glorification of Prabhupada. Does that help? Yeah, Radha Kukulananda do not have mic to answer Guru Maharaj, but he's okay. saying amazing answer in the chat. 
Oh, good. I'm glad I could be helpful. And I guess that we had several other questions in the chat, but you'll have to save your questions. And next week, we won't be doing questions and answers, but Guru Maharaj will be giving a talk um, on, on the Gundicha Marginalila, and it will be um, also being translated into Spanish um, for the devotees that want to join us from South America. So um, that's next week, right? Yeah, yeah. I was just looking in the chat and someone is asking, is that letter available? Um, I shared the link, Guru Maharaj, of the letter below that. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. Okay. So it is available. Yeah. All right. Glory to Prabhupada, as they say. And I said, okay, see you next week. Huh? Yes, thank you. All right. Hare Krishna.